Hey, Internet friends. Former President Donald Trump announced on Saturday that he is being arrested on Tuesday, March 21st, 2023 for the charge of paying Stormy Daniels hush money. And I've got my Illuminati card game decks out because I was sure, I was certain that I had the Trump card in here. I know I had it, so I laid out all these cards trying to find it, but it's curiously missing today. What can you do? So I'm going to have to put the card with Trump's face on the screen. It's the enough is enough card, the Trump card. If you're unfamiliar with the Illuminati card game, the 1990s card game that predicted 9-11, Donald Trump, COVID, and the Capitol riot, it's supposed to just be a game with the cards kind of taking on a joking tone. But really, if you think about it, by joking about these ideas, groups, events, it really serves as a form of predictive programming and normalization. They're giving us the script before the events play out. And I have a whole chapter about Steve Jackson Games, the people behind this game, their history, yada yada in my book, The Deep State Encyclopedia, which I'll link below. But I mean, the thing it, the thing to know is that this game and what we're about to talk about today are forms of sigil magic, essentially. The Illuminati card game is tied closely to Discordianism, which is a sort of parody religion that centers around the goddess of chaos and discord. And it's closely associated with the number 23, 23 Enigma, which just holds that the number 23 is of importance and significance. Which is interesting because we're in the year 2023, right? If you combine some of these cards, they paint quite a picture and most, if not all of them, are related to the events of today. Another example of predictive programming with Trump is the Ingersoll Lockwood books. You could also call these sigil magic, especially as we find out tomorrow if he's getting arrested or not. So let's see if these sigils or these works predicted this particular week in March. Let's roll the clip. Hey internet friends, let's imagine for a moment that time travel is a real thing. And you have access to a time machine. Do you use it? And if so, do you travel to the past or the future? And why? Me? Well, I'm blasting back to the past because I have some pressing questions that need answering. One of them being about some books American novelist Ingersoll Lockwood wrote over a hundred years ago. Among them, two children's books, Baron Trump's Marvelous Underground Journey, as well as Little Baron Trump and his wonderful dog, Bulger, followed up by the novel, The Last President, featuring a character by the name of Pence. Y'all, today's video is a serious case of coincidence lasagna, with layer upon layer of coincidence. A generous helping of time travel and a little sprinkle of prophecy served up by the first family. It's a time machine, Napoleon. We bought it online. Okay, turn it on. Ingersoll Lockwood's book, Baron Trump's Marvelous Underground Journey, details the adventures of a wealthy boy living in Castle Trump. And his journey consists of traveling to Russia, depicting a world within a world, which young Baron explores with his dog, Bulger. So, okay. It's just a series of silly coincidences that the main character is named Baron Trump, living in Castle Trump, who goes on an adventure using a guidebook provided by none other than the master of all masters, named Dawn. Just a coincidence, right y'all, right? Well, that's what I thought, but then I kept looking. This is what makes time travel possible, the flux capacitor. Do you know the story about Donald Trump's uncle and former MIT professor, John George Trump? 
In his connection to futurist and inventor Nikola Tesla, after Tesla's passing, his possessions were seized by the US government office called the Office of Alien Property, which I know you're probably rolling your eyes at right now because the title sounds crazy, but basically it was established during both world wars. The office seized property that belonged to US enemies, which really doesn't make sense when you put it in this context because Tesla was a naturalized citizen. But anyway, I digress. Tesla's property was handed over about three weeks later to a few FBI agents who threw John Trump into the mix. Since Uncle Trump had been involved in radar research for the Allies in the Second World War, the United States wanted to make sure that Tesla hadn't been developing anything top secret or sketchy for the enemy at the time of his death. So Uncle Trump looked over those documents and told the FBI there was no need to worry. But what did Uncle Trump really see in Tesla's documents? Were there any fantastic theories? he had been working on? Maybe something to aid in, I don't know, a marvelous journey of some sort? Even though John Trump died in 1985, Donald Trump regularly brought up Uncle John in interviews, as well as Uncle John's warnings over nuclear weaponry, saying, my uncle used to tell me about nuclear before nuclear was nuclear. Which really doesn't make a lot of sense. So why was Donald Trump so cryptic with these statements about his uncle and his warnings? Was he just babbling on or did he know something? It's been suggested by others that Donald Trump is a time traveler with his ability to play 40 chess and always seeming to predict his opponent's next move. If you take any of these coincidences or circumstances and you isolate them, they seem meaningless. But did you know that sci-fi classic Back to the Future's Marty McFly's arch nemesis Biff Tannen was actually inspired by Donald Trump? Coincidence? Time travel. Time travel. Well, beam me up, Scotty. To further pick curiosity over Baron Trump's marvelous underground journey, the portrait of Baron in the book series bears some resemblance. If I squint, I can see it. In the present day, the first family's dog is called Patton, named after General George Patton. General Patton is most famous for winning the Battle of the Bulge. The dog in Lockwood's novels is named Bulger. And yes, I know, we might need a little stretch after that reach, but while we're at it, there's mention of an entrance to the inner earth that lies in the Ural Mountains, mentioned of course in Lockwood's books, which is exciting a lot of folks who subscribe to the hollow earth theory, while making others wonder if this is the real Russian connection the news continues to ramble on about. But I wanna know about this world within a world reference within Lockwood's book. A world heavily inhabited by strange beings, rooted in ancient myth. There are several ways we could read into that, like with the hollow earth theory, or we could take a look at other prominent works of the time which explored concepts of the unconscious, or we could draw a parallel to present day. What exists now that is a world within a world? There's no one answer, but certainly the internet would be a world within a world, right? Let's not dwell on that though. We've got more ground to cover with Lockwood's novel, The Last President. The Last President, referenced in the novel, ran with the vision of uniting the working class to make their nation great once more. Elected in 1896, The Last President's stage is set in New York. And like I said before, it features a cabinet member named Pence drawing a parallel to our current vice president. But what's even weirder is that even though the last president was written over a hundred years ago, the events taking place within the text are eerily similar to those of today. 
The novel follows the downfall of the last president, with the major event taking place on a dawnless day, depicting civil unrest that commenced at the Fifth Avenue Hotel in New York, being the first site to feel the fury of the mob. Curiously, Trump Tower is actually located on Fifth Avenue in New York. And just looking to the future, a solar eclipse will occur in a few weeks, on August 21st. In some parts of the world, Due to the eclipse, will August 21st be a dawnless day? Only time will tell, I guess. We can all keep up with the time by purchasing an Ingersoll pocket watch with Trump right on the packaging. God, it's all so weird, but is it all just a coincidence? That's for you to decide. What difference at this point does it make? Those weapons of mass destruction gotta be somewhere. Nope, no weapons over there. We should not argue. In the context of yesterday, we should really first analyze how the world has dramatically changed and is changing in an accelerating way. I call upon all nations to do everything they can to stop these terrorist killers. Thank, Thank you. you. Now watch this drive. Hey internet friends, today we're talking about some books written long ago. Seemingly able to predict future events as though Nostradamus himself wrote them, but they were so boring no one really read them until recently. Before I proceed, should I apologize and make excuses for myself now or later? I'm envisioning Snopes writers spitting at their computer screens and I'm already anticipating some of the comments a few of you are typing out. Grace, I can't believe you would perpetuate the right-left paradigm. Don't you know that politics is just theater? Well, don't mind me. I'm just over here in all my diet woke glory, going back to my roots of literary analysis. Because it's been two years since I uploaded my video on the marvelous adventures of Baron Trump, exploring the possibilities of time travel and psychological operation potential. And I've since been pondering Ingersoll Lockwood's other works, namely his short piece entitled The Last President, detailing the trials of the last president of the United States, the destruction of the Republic, and its parallels to President Trump. Hold on to your butts, internet friends, because today we're traveling through past, present, and future to answer my pressing questions. What is destiny, and can it be manifested? First, let's talk about the author of these books. Ingersoll Lockwood was an American lawyer and writer based in New York. His father was a military man and close friend of Henry Clay, 
a U.S. Representative, Senator, Speaker of the House, and Secretary of State, who helped found the National Republican Party and Whig Party. Henry Clay's nickname was the Great Compromiser, the master of the art of the deal for his time. Apparently, Ingersoll Lockwood was a big fan of Clay, too, because he wrote a poem for Clay adorning him with the Lockwood last name and referring to him as a brother. Both Clay and Ingersoll Lockwood are on record as Freemasons, which I only bring up in connection to the occult elements throughout their lives and works. Ingersoll Lockwood's friends weren't the only ones who were politically connected, as he was appointed consul to the Kingdom of Hanover, the fourth largest state in the German Confederation, by none other than President Abraham Lincoln. What did Lockwood get up to in his free time when he wasn't practicing law or acting as consul or writing children's books? Well, he created a club called the Union of the Titans, with exclusive membership of men taller than six foot two. According to his obituary printed in the New York Times in October of 1918, he died at the age of 77 in Saratoga Springs, New York. Ingersoll Lockwood's children's books about a character commonly called Little Baron Trump his dog Bulger and their marvelous underground adventures detail the adventures of a wealthy boy living in Castle Trump. And his journey consists of traveling to Russia, depicting a world within a world which the young Baron explores with his dog Bulger, using a guidebook provided by the master of all masters named Don. Not even Baron's parents know where Baron was born, but he's constantly bringing up how big his brain is and manages to come up with a personalized insult for most folks he meets and his adventures take him underground, underneath the Ural Mountains in Russia, much in the style of Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland. All the evidence needed to make a Russian collusion case can be found within the text of a book written over 100 years ago. Jokes, I got jokes. While his children's books were written in the early 1890s, Ingersoll Lockwood's later works include The Laconics of a Cult, a critique of organized religion and what he describes as shadowy gods on their shadowy thrones. At the end of this critique, Lockwood attempts to create a new cult called the Cult of the Immortal Human. Pictured at the beginning of the book are two photographs of Lockwood at age 30 and at age 60. Why are there two photographs? I guess the author wants you to notice how little he's aged in 30 years. November 3, 1896 was the 28th U.S. presidential election, in which former Governor William McKinley defeated Democrat William Jennings Bryan. Keep in mind, this was post-Civil War and pre-World War America. McKinley won, promoting the dollar being backed by the gold standard and encouraging industrial growth, while William Jennings Bryan lost as the pro-silver economic reformer. Lockwood's piece of political fiction about this election is dubbed a novel, but The Last President reads more like a play, one of ten acts or chapters that follows a different timeline of the 1896 election, one in which a character named Brian wins the presidency. The first scene is set in New York, where mobs are breaking out in New York City and states that the Fifth Avenue Hotel will be the first to feel the full fury of the mob. Within the first act, a clear division is defined, one between those who support the new president and those who do not. Sound familiar? It's curious because 666 Fifth Avenue was built for the Vanderbilt family and was owned by President Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner. And Trump Tower is located on Fifth Avenue, but the parallels don't end there. 
It takes a few chapters to establish that Brian is beloved by the common people, considered a savior and a god to many. Brian has succeeded in connecting with the everyman. In chapter three, it says that the people made him president in the very face of the prodigious opposition of the rich men, whose coffers had been of the satanic and truly devilish power of that hell upon earth known as Wall Street. So it doesn't take long to communicate to the reader that the valley between the rich and the poor was ever widening during this time. And the blame for the economic depression was placed upon Wall Street, which is given satanic characteristics. Probably because usury is considered a sin. And they say that the root of all evil is the love of money. There's talk of a dawnless day and eventually, Brian selects members of his cabinet. One of the members is a character named Pence. An executive order is passed abandoning the gold standard, Wall Street is shocked, and the brunt of it is felt by the common folk who are living in the streets of Washington, D.C. without food, waiting for rations and to be placed into camps. In a relatively short period of time, the dollar declines and the government is powerless to stop it. Taxes rise and chaos capitalizes on this void. Separatist movements pop up with socialism and anarchy finding willing ears. Once again, the South unites against the North, as the South, which represents the common people, is upset about the taxes being placed upon them, especially when they view the North as the much wealthier territory. Prophecy details more revolution, more tensions between the North and the South. The play ends with a weakened and demoralized president being encouraged to resign by the Speaker of the House. But the president makes one last good show for the common folk captivating everyone under his spell for one last time. Then, suddenly, the capital is struck by dynamite, and with it, the Republic falls. The whole thing ends really creepily, with the author describing a single human eye with a devilish joy admiring the rubble of the fallen Republic. Like a scene straight out of the fires of Mordor or the pages of a Lovecraftian horror, neither of which had yet been written. Ingersoll Lockwood's books resurfaced into public consciousness in 2017, when the internet popularized the novels by drawing parallels between them and the current political situation in the United States. From wealthy little Baron Trump living in Castle Trump, being guided by the master of all masters, Don, through various adventures in an underground Russian fantasy land, to the last president in Lockwood's novel presenting similarities to President Trump as a political outsider and champion of the common people. The familiar name Pence popping up within the president's own cabinet, as well as the divisive nature of the election and the location of the novel's mob activity in proximity to Trump properties. All of these are sprinkled across Lockwood's various works. And if we step back and look at his works as a collection, there are some strange synchronicities for sure, but in 2017, the discourse surrounding these books generally revolved around the weird similarities, but not the implications. Certainly, mainstream media helped shape the discussion by publishing an endless array of articles aimed to debunk the connection between Lockwood and Trump, writing it off as nothing more than tinfoil hattery. These articles address the question of whether or not Donald Trump had or has access to a time machine, routinely bringing up Trump's uncle and his examination of inventor Nikola Tesla's laboratory. In the aftermath of Tesla's death, 
the FBI reportedly confiscated his papers, and they were reviewed by none other than John Trump, a physicist who worked for the United States government's Office of Scientific Research and Development. Was Donald Trump privy to the contents of Tesla's office? Back in 2017, Snopes managed to take enough time away from soliciting prostitutes to write their take on the Trump-Lockwood connection. They said, although these books contain seemingly bizarre coincidences, they are no evidence that Donald Trump has a time machine. Thank you for that, Snopes. Two years after Lockwood reached peak popularity, a writer who specializes in researching and debunking conspiracy theories and fringe beliefs by the name Mike Rothschild put together a frustrated piece expressing great displeasure about how this stupid Lockwood conspiracy theory wouldn't go away because, I quote, conspiracy theorists tend to never move on. They only add more details. I'm sure Mr. Rothschild knows this since he's a self-proclaimed expert on debunking these disgusting, predatory conspiracy theories that these mouth-breathing, low-IQ, useless eaters have the nerve to discuss freely online. But just a reminder that a conspiracy is, by definition, an evil, unlawful, treacherous, or surreptitious plan formulated in secret by two or more persons. Basically, a conspiracy is unlawful plotting between two or more folks. And a conspiracy theory is just filling in the blanks of the who, what, when, where, and why behind this unlawful plotting. Furthermore, I didn't realize that time travel or time machine ownership were unlawful acts. In order for them to be declared unlawful, there would have to be some kind of acknowledgement or declaration that time travel existed beyond the pages of your favorite science fiction novel. But hey, we all know that the best way to make people forget about something and keep them from discussing ideas is to repeatedly publish and perpetuate those ideas through various mainstream media outlets, framing the appropriate conversation along the way. Makes you wonder. When I made my original video about the marvelous adventures of Baron Trump, I knew nothing of memetics and even less of trickery or the sleight of hand. While this whole story seemed to have peaked in 2017, there has never been a time more relevant to bring it up than right now when the House of Representatives has impeached President Trump. As of this week, his Senate trial is currently underway. And for a while there, every time I turned on talk radio, Radio hosts perpetuated the theory that this whole impeachment trial would actually lead to the possibility of Trump running for a third term. A strange loophole of sorts, one might say. This idea seemed to have originated online by former Republican governor and father to former White House press secretary, but once again, the mainstream media moved quickly to debunk this claim stating that the 22nd Amendment to the Constitution expressly prohibits a person from being elected to the office of president more than twice. Since Trump was already elected once, he is only eligible for one more term. Regardless, a third term for any American president seems like a recipe to dissolve the federal republic and constitutional representative democracy we supposedly have here in the United States. I realize our mileage might vary in connecting the past to the present. To use something as seemingly innocuous as an American lawyer's works of historical fiction and children's fantasy to analyze the reality in which we live. 
Maybe John Trump really did build a time machine off of Tesla's notes. Maybe Lockwood's family had some sort of looking glass family heirloom, and he wrote a collection of particularly hard to read works in an attempt to shift humanity from the path of destruction. Or maybe, just maybe, what's playing out before us is all a big theater performance, a most brilliant one, more of a comedy than a tragedy to convince the masses that they have some sort of semblance of control over the thing we call government. As we continue to vote for people we'll never meet, in order for those elected individuals to turn around, line their pockets with lobby dollars, and tell us how to run our lives. For me, it's difficult to say whether the last president in Lockwood's book was a character genuinely concerned for the well-being of the everyman and champion of the common people or if he was in on the plot to destroy the Republic. But it doesn't really matter either way, does it? The outcome of his presidency was predetermined. A script written, the characters cast, the play executed, and destiny fulfilled. What do you think, internet friends? Are the parallels between Lockwood's collection of works and the current political state of the US nothing more than coincidence? Is this a case of happenstance, merely an oddity, rather than the script revealing itself? And if Lockwood's last president was indeed a warning, can destiny be stopped? Uh, we wanted to know what your thoughts are on the rumored Trump indictment, and if you have any role in it, um, if charges are brought on him, will you have any role in extradition to New York? Thank so you. I've seen rumors swirl. I have not seen any facts uh, yet, and so I don't know what's going to happen. But I do know this. The, the Manhattan district attorney is a Soros-funded prosecutor. And so he, like other Soros-funded prosecutors, they weaponize their office to impose a political agenda on society at the expense of the rule of law and public safety. Hey, Internet friends, former President Donald Trump announced today that he is being arrested on Tuesday. I was working on a DuPont video, but the Ides of March have presented us with a mega psyop. So I hit pause on DuPont because I kind of wanted to get out ahead of the absolute orchestrated drama. I'll be honest, I had to double check the calendar and make sure that Tuesday wasn't Yale Skull and Bones Day 322. Because you know they love their number coding and their symbolism, but no, Tuesday as is actually 321, the final countdown, if you will. This is the final battle. They know it. I know it. You know it. Everybody knows it. This is it. We are learning that the Manhattan DA's office has asked for a meeting with law enforcement ahead of a potential Trump indictment. Okay, so Trump posted on Truth Social this morning in all caps, which I always read as someone yelling at me, quote, now illegal leaks from a corrupt and highly political Manhattan district attorney's office, which has allowed new records to be set in violent crime and whose leader is funded by George Soros, indicate that with no crime being able to be proven and based on an old and fully debunked by numerous other prosecutors fairy tale, the far and away leading Republican candidate and former president of the United States of America will be arrested on Tuesday of next week. Protest. Take our nation back, end quote. 
So to wrap all that up, Trump is saying he expects to be arrested on Tuesday and that his followers should protest. Man, oh man, these bread and circuses really do deliver, don't they? I have several scenarios playing out in my head, a lot of thoughts. I actually got a full night of sleep last night. I'm properly caffeinated. I didn't write this out. I'm just going to fire from the hip. Okay, so here we go. It's... Interesting, because this arrest announcement comes at the same time as Putin's arrest warrant. And listen, if you arrest Trump and you make him a martyr in the eyes of his followers, it'll probably have the opposite effect of criminalizing him and his support will just double down and will set him up for a victory in the 2024 election possibly giving him an edge over DeSantis because what has DeSantis done? Has he been cuffed in the streets of New York City for your alleged rights and making America great again? Not, I mean, no, not the last time I checked. Has DeSantis suffered? No, not enough. Arresting your political opponents is just such a wild move. I really should have put that on my bingo card. Such a missed opportunity. Though I will say, like, From the perspective that you believe everything at face value and you do little to no critical thinking beyond, beyond what you're just told. The calls for protests don't really make a lot of sense to me because it's not like Donald Trump went to bat for those who were arrested in the wake of January 6th. And this is going to make a lot of my followers mad, but it's just my observation, okay? He seemed kind of busy reminding everybody that he was responsible for the vaccine and Operation Warp Speed, and that it was great, the greatest vaccine ever, when it really wasn't a vaccine at all. It had minimal trials and is more appropriately described as gene therapy. But I digress. It seems like if you were to show up and protest for Trump, that given the context of January 6th, you're walking straight into a trap. It's kind of, what do they call it, a catch-22. You don't show up in protest, you lose. You show up in protest, you also lose. But remember, don't forget, back when BLM was protesting and the World Health Organization and media absolutely insisted that while people with no symptoms, asymptomatic, remember, could spread COVID and therefore you should let your grandma die in the hospital alone, the BLM protesters absolutely were not contributing to the spread of COVID, according to the media. And you got to ask yourself, is any politician worth getting arrested for? Are you able to make America great again if you're trying to get an arrest scrubbed off your criminal record? I really can't answer that for you. I can only ask the question. But let's talk about the taboo. Let's expand on January 6th for a minute because everyone dances around it and they'll censor you for talking about it. But if you're one of those YouTube employees watching this video, I just want you to ask yourself, I want you to think about the last generation in America who grew up with hope for their country. What generation, in your opinion, was the last one to believe that the future was hopeful, that pretty much anything was possible in our once prosperous nation. And listen, if you're that YouTube employee, we all know, be honest with yourself, we all know that 81 million people or however many didn't vote for Biden. Your guy might've won, but you still know it. You know, you know it just like I do. Selected, not elected. And in my book, The Deep State Encyclopedia, I talk about how effective the media was in the aftermath of January 6th. I've got the page open right here. They were incredibly effective at silencing dissent and any lingering questions by the use of divisive labels and character smears. Anyone who 
didn't denounce the January 6th attacks. I'm doing air quotes around the word attacks. Were enemies of the nation. They were fascist, racist, Nazis, the alt-right. Thus, any claims of election fraud and calls for investigations of such fizzled out because individuals didn't want to be perceived as siding with the protesters. So that's me reading the book, but there were some people from my town who I heard went to these protests, and when they returned, the FBI investigated them. But where are these alphabet agencies when it really matters? Like, what about the Las Vegas attacks? What about our corrupt elections? What about the clients on Jeffrey Epstein's list? Who's blackmailing who and for what purpose? The silence on these issues is deafening. Our food is poison. Our air is poison. Our medicine, it's poison. Our water, also poison. We're being attacked in every way, shape, and form possible as citizens of this country. We're psyoped into oblivion because these physical wounds, they heal after a time, but the mental ones, they don't. Hijacked planes, school shootings, falling towers, how many, t- how many can I list off? We're constantly being divided, manipulated, and lied to. They pit us against each other. They want us to hate our neighbors. They want us to hate ourselves. And I imagine it's because we outnumber them. What if one day we all just collectively said, no, enough is enough. And if I thought for even a second that protesting Trump's arrest would help us in any way, I'd say so. But it just looks like another opportunity to silence real dissent. Pawns on the global stage. Exit stage left. Exit stage right. Oh, we're doing the public arrest now? Let's make sure the lighting is good. Don't get me wrong. I don't dislike Trump. He's just one person. I was very much all about his promises in the beginning, like when he said he was going to drain the swamp and all the creatures in it. And remember when he told Hillary Clinton to her face that he'd have her arrested? That was just such a good show. (laughs) I was on board. But then he didn't do any of that. And he doubled down on the vaccines. So there's also this angle that I really can't get out of my head in regards to fulfillment of prophecy of this whole Ingersoll Lockwood last president book, which may be editing grace. If you're listening to this, I'll roll the clip. For this after, I don't know, but maybe I'll just link the video. Not sure. Ingersoll Lockwood's book, 1900, The Last President, is set on a Tuesday in November. He describes it as, quote, a terrible night for the great city of New York, end quote. And basically, Americans are protesting corrupt election results in the president's hometown of New York City, and it depicts the collapse of the republic. Anarchists and socialists laid siege to a hotel on Fifth Avenue, screaming, death to the rich man. Then there's this whole thing about the North and South becoming divided, and they fight each other, and it's a whole civil war scenario. Lockwood's previous books have a character named Baron Trump who lives at Castle Trump, and it follows his adventures, and these were all written in the late 1800s. I expand more on these books in the Deep State Encyclopedia, but I can't help but think of these parallels as we see these scenarios playing out. And I'm also wondering, final question, what are we being distracted from? I'm wondering what will be happening on Tuesday while we're all looking at Trump. It's the sleight of hand magician's trick when you're watching one hand doing all the stuff while the other hand does something else to fool you. What difference at this point does it make? Those weapons of mass destruction gotta be somewhere. Nope, no weapons over there. We should not argue. 
the context of yesterday. We should really first analyze how the world has dramatically changed and is changing in an accelerating way. I call upon all nations to do everything they can to stop these terrorist killers. Thank, Thank you. you. Now watch this drive.